Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to everybody at home, tuning in, zooming in, trying to think of something for our small groups. Trying to do loving kindness practice tonight, metta. We're, uh, we're on the eighth factor of the Eightfold Path, concentration, the importance of learning to train your mind to concentrate and how we can use the heart practices, the Brahma Viharas, as an object of concentration by choosing to re repeat the phrases over and over. We'll do that tonight. Metta. Okay, two things. Um, some of you, maybe some people are new, most people are familiar. There's uh, five categories in loving kindness, and I'll explain this a little bit, but Of the five categories from the commentarial practice that I often teach, which is loving kindness for yourself, loving kindness for your benefactors, loving kindness for neutral people, neither difficult nor easy, maybe unknown strangers, uh, loving kindness for your enemies, or loving kindness for all living beings, five, five categories. Uh, what's the easiest for you, if you've done this before, what feels like it's easy to generate loving kindness towards, and, and what category feels like the most difficult? So does the question make sense? What are the easiest people to love? Who are the hardest people to love? And um, break into small groups, introduce yourself to some people at home, I'll throw you in some breakout groups. We'll just jump into meditation. This form of meditation, when used as a concentration practice, what we're trying to do is get these uh, phrases, and I'll give three simple phrases. Uh, we'll just repeat them over and over um, within the five different categories. And you want to be consistent about coming back to the phrase, but don't be too... Um, be too strict about it. Be a little bit relaxed if your mind wanders. Come back to the phrase. Use it as the object of concentration, choosing to place this thought in your, in your mind uh, to replace any other thoughts. And that way, that way we concentrate the mind and we create an attitude of loving kindness in our minds. So finding a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. Starting with the simple mindfulness of the breath and body, releasing any tension, relaxing into the posture, eyes gently closed, 
hands resting in the lap or on the knees. Begin by reflecting on your own desire for happiness, for contentment, for well-being. Beginning to say to ourselves these loving kindness phrases, may I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering. And then repeating slowly, but consistently over and over, may I be happy, May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. The mind starts to comment or think about other things, just come back. Say the phrase again, start over. May I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. Spending the next couple of minutes just saying this to yourself over and over.
If you have other meaningful loving kindness phrases you'd like to include, you can. Because we're trying to focus our attention on the phrases, keep them consistent. Don't give a lot of room for the mind to wander. Saying over and over slowly, may I be happy. May I be at ease. May I be free from suffering. There may be resistance to some of these phrases, feelings of unworthiness or doubt, or just keep going. You don't have to be, you don't even have to mean it yet. Just keep saying these phrases. And now expanding from ourselves to think about somebody that has inspired you, supported you, that you have benefited from the category we call benefactor. Bring someone to mind. It's easy to appreciate begin sending them loving kindness, just as I wish to be happy. I wish for your happiness. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering. Picturing them if you can. As you extend loving kindness from your heart to theirs. And you're saying these phrases over and over. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering.
concentration part is not allowing the mind to wander too much, returning to the phrase. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free. Expanding again to the next category, neutral, perhaps choosing somebody in the Sangha that you don't know so well, maybe somebody you even talked to tonight, somebody you saw on Zoom or here in the room. Choose somebody from the Sangha as the object of your loving kindness. Begin sending that person metta, loving kindness. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering. over and over, focusing the mind on repeating these phrases. For someone you don't know so well in the community, just like me, I know you wish to be happy, to be at ease, to be free from suffering.
and again expanding now to the category of difficult people, choosing someone that you have some resentment towards. with the understanding that they are suffering, confused, and that just like you, they wish to be happy, wish to be free from suffering. Even if you don't quite mean it yet, inclining the heart towards loving kindness for a difficult person, in your life. And extending the phrases to them. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering.
and expanding further to include yourself and your benefactors, people in the Sangha, your friends and family, all of the difficult people, enemies, and in widening circles, include everyone in your community, in your town, your vicinity, neighborhood, city, Sending loving kindness to the east and west, north and south, above and below. So we include all living beings, all humans on this planet, beyond the humans to the animals, from the smallest insects to the largest mammals the sky, the sea, the earth, all living beings. Shifting the phrase to, may all beings be happy. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be happy. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be free. Over and over, focusing the mind on these phrases.
and letting go of the phrases, letting go of the metta practice. And just resting in mindfulness, present time awareness of the body, the heart, the mind. Stop trying to concentrate and just investigate, open to what's present now. You get a sense of how when practiced like this, metta, loving kindness, is a concentration practice. You're just giving your full attention to the phrases. Placing the phrases in the mind over and over is in some ways blocking out other thoughts. Of course, some other thoughts get in there. Of course they did. Um, But choosing to come back and this main difference between mindfulness, which 
in its broadest form is choiceless awareness and concentration is when we're choosing what to become aware of. So in metta, we're choosing to bring these phrases as the object of our awareness. And um, those of you who are here last week are, are aware. Uh, my own, I have a kind of a bias against a lot of concentration. Um, it's a useful part of the path. It is the eighth factor of the path, but by itself, it's not enough. And so many people end up just meditating with concentration. Like if you're, if, if a mantra, like we're kind of, this is sort of like a mantra. If a mantra is your only practice, it never opens you to the mindful awareness to see the actual causes of suffering. You're just ignoring them. And so like when we're doing metta, we're kind of, we're ignoring the causes of suffering, but it's so healthy because we're creating a habit of mind to be kind towards ourselves and towards others, to be loving, to be friendly, to be, to have this attitude of well-wishing. So we need to train our minds to be loving and kind, but you don't want it to be the only thing you do. That's why we have so much uh, mindfulness-based practice. Also that open, as we did at the end, concentrate, 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 and now open, investigate, see what's, what's happening in your mind uh, when you stop trying to focus it. Does it make sense? Any questions about how this is a concentration practice or anything, anything before I go on? If you have a question at home, you can raise your hand in the reactions button. Metta, we call this metta, it translates as loving kindness. Um, it's always appropriate. It's always appropriate to be kind. Can you think of any situation where it's not appropriate to be kind, to be loving, to wish for the welfare? May you be happy, may you be at ease. It's very intentional that there's even our enemies, even the difficult people are here from this enlightened Buddhist perspective. Of course, we want to wish uh, rather than suffering by holding on to resentments and wishing harm upon difficult people, we want to wish for their happiness. Not so much for them as much for our own state of mind and heart so that we're not suffering at each other. And that if we can really develop this tendency to be kind and friendly and loving and forgiving, then it'll make your life so much better than walking around pissed off at the un, you know, the confused people who cause harm, have caused harm to you or cause harm in this world in some way or another. Always appropriate. There's four Brahma Viharas, and so for the next four weeks or so, maybe more, I'm gonna focus on these. So we're starting with loving kindness. Loving kindness is always appropriate. And I think that important to think of kindness and loving kindness as situational, as like situational ethics. What's the ethical response in this situation? And so it's not always, and even the word kindness, I think that sometimes my own concept of kindness is that it's being real nice. 
but sometimes the kindest thing to do, and, and maybe even like, I, I think that kindness uh, is like saying yes. Sometimes the kindest thing to do is to say no to somebody. Sometimes the kindest thing to do is to, uh, you know, end that relationship or to, you know, have good boundaries with somebody or to, you know, never talk to that person again. <laughs> it's not kind, you know, sometimes it's not kind to stay in unhealthy situations or to continue to tolerate. And when we're thinking about compassion and we're thinking about kindness, Sometimes we feel like, well, I can really tolerate this person's bad behavior because I'm such a compassionate Buddhist. But it's actually unkind to the other person to continue to allow them to behave poorly towards you. Does that make sense? When we put up with too much shit and we become too much of a doormat or, or whatever it is, and we, we think, well, I'm just being so kind, but we're really actually being codependent and enabling and and it's actually not kind because you're allowing that person to continue to create negative karma for themselves towards you. So sometimes that really healthy, uh, maybe even fierce, compassionate, no, go fuck yourself with all the loving kindness in my heart, go fuck yourself, is the appropriate response. Not out of, I want to harm you, not out of, but just out of like a, a, the kindest thing to do. Like you think about, you know, if somebody's asking you for like generosity. Somebody's asking you for money. I've had this situation quite a few times where a friend of mine who's an addict is asking me for money. And, you know, it feels like, well, if I, it would be so kind to be generous and to give this person money, but actually it'd be totally inappropriate. It would be enabling addiction. And so the kindest thing to do is say, Nope. I'll take you to a meeting. I'll, I'll take you to detox, but I'm not going to buy you a fix. So when we think, you know, so think about kindness and loving kindness as uh, situational, that it's not always saying yes, that it's not always being kind, that it's sometimes being maybe even a little bit aggressive in the right situation as a kind, kind thing to do. So loving kindness, always appropriate. Compassion, which I think we'll probably do next week. We'll either do compassion or forgiveness. Uh, only has the goal of how we are trying to respond to pain. Compassion is the wise response to pain. Appreciation, non-attached appreciation, uh, uh, empathetic, uh, sympathetic joy, appreciation uh, in response to pleasure and to joy. It's the appropriate relationship to pleasure. Equanimity, always appropriate in uh, relationship to each other. The antidote to, it's kind of Buddhist Al-Anon, the antidote to codependency and clinging and our compassion becoming attached. Equanimity practice. So we'll go through these in the next few weeks. And each one of these practices is uncovering these latent wise tendencies in our own heart and is creating mind habits 
that are, are wiser than our untrained mind. It's training the mind. The untrained mind isn't loving and kind all of the time, so we're trying to train it. The untrained mind isn't compassionate all of the time, so we're trying to train it. Maybe it's brainwashing, but in such a good way. Repeat these phrases over and over for the next couple decades, and your internal experience will be much different. The sense of contentment and well-being and ability to respond wisely I'll share um, the, so coming back to metta, loving kindness as a concentration practice, but the context is, um, this was not, it's not in the Eightfold Path. This was not part of the original teaching when the Buddha came to his awakening and he taught the Eightfold Path. Even the eighth factor that we're talking about now, concentration, he didn't say do loving kindness as a concentration practice. It wasn't until I think many years later, Metta came out of um, the context of, you know, Buddhism was thriving and there was a bunch of monks and nuns and, and some monks came up to the Buddha after uh, going off and practicing in the wilderness. They were out practicing in the forest. And they said, um, you know, you told us to find a seclu secluded place to meditate and we're out there. Um, but also they had all of these superstitions and, and they said, it's, it's terrifying out in the forest. And we feel like the forest spirits don't want us there and they're attacking us. And we're afraid of, I kind of think that they basically came to the Buddha and said, it's like, we're afraid of the dark. It's fucking scary out there. There's all kinds of weird sounds and fucking rabid crickets and shit, like scary. And the Buddha said, well, the antidote to being afraid of being harmed by these malevolent sounds in the forests is if you have loving kindness, if you wish for them to be at ease, then you won't feel afraid of them and, you won't, and they won't harm you. It'll protect you in some way, at least in an inner way. And uh, gave this teaching. It's called the Metta Sutta. Many of you are very familiar with it, but. I'll read it to you anyways. The Buddha's words on loving kindness. He said, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and knows the path of peace. Brian, would you turn the AC off? I think it's, it's cold enough in here, right? Yeah. Freezing? You're welcome. What should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So, just in that first section, like if you haven't read this, read it and reflect on it. There's so many instructions here for life, not just how to meditate, but about being humble, about being uh, easily contented and satisfied, satisfied, accepting what is. He talks about being frugal, uh, peaceful and calm. 
if you haven't read, I'm reading from my book, Heart of the Revolution, which kind of most of this book is a commentary on loving kindness and the, the Metta Sutta. So check it out if you haven't, if you're interested. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. I've for a long time taken that as a, as part of my practice to reflect on my behavior and what I'm doing and would I be honest and transparent about it um, with somebody that I think is wise, with one of my teachers or uh, would it be open with the community about my behavior? And it's such a good check of, you know, am I willing to be transparent and not do things that I wouldn't be honest about? I've also seen my mind, and you can watch your, your mind around this, where sometimes I'll choose, like I've had two main teachers. I've had a bunch of teachers, but for a long time, these two male kind of uh, main teachers. And then uh, one of them's a monk, celibate for 40 something years. And one of them's a householder. And so when it came to sexual behavior, I'd often choose the householder to be like, well, you know, would he disapprove of this? And not the monk, because it kind of figuring the monk sort of disapproves of all sexuality. <laughs> so he might not approve, you know, on some level. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we look for who will co-sign our shit. I don't think of who, you know, who would, who would this be? I could find somebody that would say this, okay. So here's the meditation instruction from the sutta. It says, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. So you saw in the meditation tonight, I... Um added the phrases, may all beings be happy and may all beings be free from suffering. The core in the metta sutta is just this, may all beings be at ease. And so you can use that as a mantra, as a mind training, as a focus, just may all beings be at ease. It's the pure metta phrase. I put those other two phrases in because that's how I was taught. My, my father and my, you know, Sharon Salzberg and Cornfield and all of those teachers were using these three phrases. May I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering. I think that may I be happy is actually a mudita, sympathetic joy phrase. It's actually about joy. It's about developing and appreciating joy, happiness. And may I be free from suffering is actually a karuna, a compassion phrase, compassionate wish. So that when we're saying all three of these, we're not really just doing metta. We call it metta in the kind of Western commentary tradition. But we're doing uh, joy, loving kindness, and compassion with these three phrases. We're just not doing equanimity yet. 
there's a way to shift it so that it's also equanimity and you're doing all four Brahma Viharas at the same time. But the core from the Buddha instruction here is, may all beings be at ease. And he goes on. He says, let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. So as part of loving kindness, rigorous honesty, let none deceive another. If you want to have an, a loving heart, be, you, know, you have to be honest and deceive each other. Rigorous honesty. And um, freedom from, dis, dis, from spite or despise any being in any state. It's one of the reasons why we take the difficult people, we take our enemies as the object of our loving kindness in order to free ourselves from our tendency to I love some people, I despise some people. Send loving kindness to the people you despise long enough and hopefully you won't despise them anymore. You'll start to forgive them. You start to genuinely have the wish for their happiness and well-being. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. So again, there's like, I feel like this is where forgiveness don't despise, don't let your anger or your ill will turn into um, wishing harm. Replace it with loving kindness, replace it with compassion, replace it with forgiveness. Even though it's very natural, the, the untrained mind wishes harm upon the people that we, that have harmed us or that have offended us. You don't even have to right? Just, just offend me. And I'm like, fuck you, go hit, get hit by a bus. Hope something to, you know, how dare you give me a dirty look? I hope you die. The mind's aversive judgmental tendency. And so we're trying to train the mind. And this is, you know, it's so radical because we can read these words and be like, oh yeah, that's good advice. But it's not just good advice. And it's not like, oh, I can just choose to not despise. Have you ever made that decision? I'm going to be compassionate. I'm not going to hate anybody anymore. I'm going to forgive everyone. And then your mind's like, yeah, yeah, right. You don't get, you know, you can't just choose that. It's not a decision you can make. If you train your heart and mind thoroughly, for the next few decades, perhaps you'll be able to live in that place of non-hatred, non-ill will, non-spite. You can train your mind to not do that. And when your mind does give bad advice, you'll have more and more ability to not obey it and to say, oh, it's just an unskillful thought. It's just Mara, just a confused thought. And here's another great, you know, lofty. He says, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. How's that for a fucking <laughs> tall? Cherish all living beings the, the way that uh, you would your own child. Those of you who have children know 
it's fucking impossible. I don't know. I mean, the Buddha had children. He had a child. And, maybe, you know, I want to believe like he felt the, the boundless loving kindness for all living beings the way that he, same way that he felt for uh, Rahula, his son. I know my own experience is that I like my kids way better than everybody else. <laughs> you know, cherish and, you know, there's just that kind of, it's born into us, you know, to, to be attached, to be loving, to be cherishing of our children more than everyone else. That having been said, I love this instruction to try to have the kind of patience and tolerance and unconditional loving acceptance of other people the way that I do for my own loved ones. I can't do it, but I like trying to do it. I like the perspective of trying to be that loving and tolerant and supportive and interested being a parent such a trip because you have to really feign interest. Be like, tell me more about that video game. I have no interest in it, but you're super interested in it. Let's talk about video games. And having that kind of connection with, imagine doing that with everybody that was talking to you about some shit you weren't interested in. Like, oh, wow, let's really, let's talk about whatever it is. With a boundless heart, cherishing all living beings, the way the ideal parent, the loving parent. Sometimes for uh, some of us, we hear that and we're like, not the way my mom. <laughs> don't, don't use my mom as the example. She wasn't very good at cherishing. Some of you feel that way. Sometimes you have to think of the grandmother or, you know, or just the archetypal uh, parent, good parent. With a boundless heart, cherishing all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outwards unbounded, again, free from hatred and ill will. It's like the third encouragement to forgive everyone, to not let hatred, despising, or wishing harm to cause us suffering. And it's so counter, you know, this is against the stream. This is, it's so counter because the untrained mind hates. It's a natural survival instinct to despise, to wish harm, to have ill will, just part of the human condition. Buddhism directing us to have compassion and loving kindness for all living beings all of the time. It's a really tall order. I've been at it for 33 years. Almost 34. Um, I've seen a lot more progress. I've seen a lot more ability to have a genuine feeling of of kindness, but I certainly can't have 
I don't cherish all living beings all of the time. My mind still really convince, you know, sometimes convinces me that anger and ill will is the appropriate response. I know there's that part of me that knows it's not. Who knows? Maybe in the next, you know, 20, 30 years, I'll have total freedom, but I like trying. I feel like that's, you know, I like the aspiration. I like what happens when I try to be loving and kind. Last piece, he says, whether standing or walking, seated or laying down. So, you know, we, we focus so much on sitting meditation. I'm sitting here doing loving kindness. May I be happy and may I be at ease. May I be free. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free. But he says, this isn't just whether seated. If you're seated, do this. May all beings be at ease. But also if you're standing, train your mind to do this. When you're standing around, when you're standing in line at the market, at the bank, at the job, May all beings be at ease. When you're walking, may all beings be at ease. When you walk, try, try this. Try this this week in your life when you're just walking around town. Saying the loving kindness phrases in your mind and to everyone you pass. Everyone in the neighborhood. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering. When you're driving back up north, those cars going the other way, those cars passing you in traffic. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be free from suffering. Whether standing, walking, seated, or laying down. So before bed tonight, bring the metaphrases into your mind as you're laying down. May all beings be happy. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be free from suffering. Free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. Sustain, so... Train your mind to regularly recollect, to sustain, may all beings be at ease. Remember that that person that you're having conflict with, just like you, wants to be happy, wishes to be at ease. Replacing the mind's tendency to despise and wish ill will and wish harm upon with, may you be happy, may you be at ease, may you be free. This is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Loving kindness will take you to liberation, freedom from rebirth, the deathless. If you can forgive everyone and love everyone. Sounds good to me. The Metta Sutta is such a cool guide for our practice. There's so many uh, pieces in there that aren't necessarily in the Eightfold Path. And you can Google it and just download the Metta Sutta, but read through it and reflect on it and see how much of that you can take into your own life, your own daily life. What are your thoughts, questions, comments? Jeff, Jeff, please. 
a comment. Uh, tonight I was maybe refreshed that the Metasuke I always go to like is an antidote for my own hatred or ill will. But it's I think as the like the prelude to that sutta, it was an armor for other people's hatred toward us. Right? It was uh it, it didn't he say like this is I'm gonna I'm gonna suit you with an armor so you won't for your fear out there, right? It was uh, I, I don't I don't tend to go to there first as like it, it's a uh, almost a defense mechanism for maybe those who, who are hating at me yeah to meet, meet that with metta yeah yeah I like that perspective I don't really think about it that way but I like that perspective yes yeah, the more we're coming from love and kindness. And, you know, people are judging and, you know, doing whatever they're doing. No need to suffer at them. No need to take it personal. No need to meet them with ill will or hatred or just wishing them well. And no matter how much blame, you know, criticism, hatred we get from others, just trying to respond with loving kindness. And then that way we don't suffer. It protects us from the inner suffering of hatred could be personally or even idealistically now that there's you know, we see more and more division that people who don't agree with our ideals wish to meet that with them that's a yeah important thing thanks man yeah please uh, i had a question but to add to that too like i think about this a lot and if the people who were either you know our enemies so to speak or oppressors of some kind if they truly were happy they would probably stop a behavior that we don't like yeah too. so it's, it's one way that i've found to actually wish that some people who i find unpleasant were happy because yeah. they stopped being so that's like another um but my question was you mentioned it a couple times tonight and you talk about it from time to time i was like each decade that you've spent doing this things get like a little bit better and a little bit easier and i wonder if you know, you find you you discussed it about the compassion and forgiveness and metta tonight, but even with like concentration during meditation, all these things, I mean, do you think in reality you're probably leaps and bounds after spending that much time better than you used to be and you just see it incrementally, or is it really <laughs> that that minor of I mean, I'm I want to devote time to it either way, but I'm really curious if that's sort of like a half, you know, joking thing of there's always going to be hardships or if you really feel like it's been you know it's really small um i i, I probably minimize it more than um probably really leaps and bounds from i've sometimes said this when i reflect on my own uh there was a period about 10 years into my practice where um life was so different that I had thought maybe I was getting enlightened because I was actually forgiving everyone and I wasn't suffering at every, and I, I came to the practice like many of us from such a deep place of self-hatred and suffering and, you know, like consistent suffering. Like it was my reality most of the time, felt like all of the time was that I was suffering. And then, if, you know, after some years of recovery and practice and all of these retreats and forgiveness practice for, um, I thought like, well, maybe I'm going to become an arahant. 
Like I'm getting hella free. I'm getting super free. This is amazing. And then at some point I realized, oh, I'm actually just becoming human. I've spent the first half of my life in a fucking hell realm or as like a hungry ghost or, and I'm, I'm actually not free all of the time in comparison to how much suffering I was experiencing in my early life leaps and bounds to just only suffering some of the time. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, and it's probably not even that skillful to quantify it, but I think that my suffering has decreased by about 90%. And so sometimes I might minimize it and be like, oh, you know, you make a little progress over the years, but a little progress, little progress. Um, Cause I feel like I was suffering a hundred percent of the time, which probably isn't true, but it felt like that I was suffering a hundred percent of the time. 30 something years ago when I was strung out and locked up and in constant craving. And now I feel like I don't suffer that often, but maybe 10% of the time I'm in some suffering, some attachment, some aversion, some taking something personal. Most of the time I'm able to not do it, but some of the, you know, I don't know if the people around me would agree or not, but that's my internal uh, experience of myself. Pretty good. Yeah. So it's leaps and bounds that happen slowly over the decades. And how about with concentration during that, your mind wandering less when you're, you know, staying more focused? My mind wanders a lot less over the years, but also it still wanders and I just don't take it that personal. I don't need it to not wander. And also because concentration is not wandering. Mindfulness is just observing the wandering mind. So that's really important, even how that question is asked. When we think that a good meditation is no thoughts and no wandering and no, that's if you want to get concentrated, like we're doing, like you can do enough, may I be happy, may I be at ease, that you stop the mind from thinking because you've replaced it, you've concentrated it. That's not really my practice. My practice is just to observe my mind. And if it's wandering, cool, where are you going? But knowing these are just thoughts arising and passing, that's mindfulness. Ricky, please. If you have a question at home, you can, you can raise your hand. Did you have a question or comment? More comment on that too, I think from like coming off of retreat too, where we didn't really do concentration, it was more mindfulness. And maybe it's just because I finally settled after two days or just because it felt really nice to concentrate on something. And I was like, oh yeah. There's that hack, like I could have been doing this while I was suffering the whole time at retreat instead of listening to the things that you were telling us to do. But I was like, oh, this feels really nice right now to just like focus in. Concentration is feels way better, usually than on some level than mindfulness, because you just get to uh, when you're concentrating on something, the hindrances are at bay because you're not letting them in. But it's just a temporary fix. It feels good. It hacks, but it doesn't uproot the self-centered, aversive, clinging tendencies of the mind. So that's why the Buddha like uh, warned against too much concentration. I do have a question. Yeah, sure. So from the Western side of like 
having it be three of the four Brahmaviharas, how would you shift it to also include equanimity? Um, you can simply, and I do it sometimes, you've probably heard me do it before, uh, where you simply say, um, may all beings be happy. Um, may all beings uh, do what needs to be done to experience their happiness. May all beings do what needs to be done to free themselves from suffering. So that it's not this wish that like, may you magically be happy. You're putting the awareness that your happiness is based on your actions, not my wishes for you. Like I'm wishing it for you because that's really good for my mind. But I also understand that your happiness or unhappiness depends on how you respond. And then that way you're bringing the equanimity into it. Maybe enough for tonight. Tibby, last one. Yeah, I just want to go back to, it's kind of interesting to what Jeff said right, about that it was sort of a shield, a protective yeah. measure. So was he also kind of saying, you know, we are one and the same, we are not that different from these animals that are. Maybe, yeah, that all beings wish to be at ease. Just, they wouldn't be like at ease just like we do. This is the universal condition of the, of all living beings. We all wish to be happy. We all wish to be at ease. So we would be less fearful, right? That would show them whatever. I don't know. It just seemed like kind of really, I've been listening to this a lot from you and to remember that was that thing. And also, Ajahn, but Ajahn Samadha, when he says, um, right now it's like this, that seems to come directly from the idea no? Yeah, be at ease with, yeah, whatever is happening right now. So right now it's like this, may I be at ease with it. It's like this, may I not suffer about it, may I accept it. May I respond appropriately, and kindness is always appropriate, but right now it's like this, I also think is, and maybe it's painful and calling for compassion. Right now it's like this, and maybe it's pleasant and it's calling for appreciation. So right now it's like this, I feel like it has to have like a dot, 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 it's there's a feeling tone to it. And the feeling tone of it is calling for a wise response. Tonight is uh, Jason Murphy's 34th anniversary of recovery. He's been, he's been my, you know, companion on this path for the last I guess we're going on three and a half decades. And I uh, just wanted to wish you, uh, congratulate you publicly and embarrass you a little bit. And you're sticking with it. My pleasure to be a companion on the path. Kalyanamita, spiritual friendship, so important to have people to, to walk this path with. And... Um, Jason and I can tell you, it hasn't always been easy. Plenty of conflicts over the years, but we've hung in there. And that's really what Sangha is, is hanging in there with each other, with all of the forgiveness and kindness and uh, that, that you need in order to maintain relationships.
So uh, we can leave it there for tonight. Uh, class is done by donation. Cato has put the donation in the Zoom link. Please be generous. Um, whatever you like to give, please give. Uh, Tara is not here to work the front desk for me tonight. So if you have cash, you can put it in the bowl. Uh, if you have, I don't think we, usually we can do the card, but you can do um, Venmo. And so the Venmo thing is, is over there if you'd like to make a, a donation. And please consider becoming a monthly supporter of Against the Stream recurring monthly donations to support us and help us pay the rent around here. And uh, Jason, you're getting a bunch of congratulations from the Zoom. You can look at it later. Um, offering the merit of our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma outward in all directions shared with all living beings. May each one of us get as free as possible and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.